welcome to another episode of What's on the Pile. I'm Nathan Besner, and joining me is Shane Lee. How's it going? Jane Belcastro. Hello. And Jenner. Still grinning. Tonight, we've got two films from the Parisian director, Leos Carax, starting with Holy Motors, a surreal science fiction picture about media consumption and progressing technology, among other things. (laughs) (laughs) And Annette, a film about two people who fall in love, have a baby, and that baby is a puppet. These uh, <laughs> these were both on my pile. I assume I assume Annette was on everybody's pile since it just Absolutely. came out. Yeah, I'd never. We've been waiting it. for it for a couple of months. Uh, yeah. We've been waiting for it for a while, mostly as uh, as a late convert, uh, particularly in my case, uh, Sparks fans, because of course they did the music uh, for the thing. And as I always say, there is no one so devout as a convert. <laughs> Well, we'll get we'll get into that one uh, next. Uh, let's let's start out with um, let's let's talk about Sparks later. Uh, let's uh, let's get into Holy Motors. Um, this was an interesting film, <laughs> really interesting. Starting with the dreamlike opening, where I guess that was probably the only thing that was not a gig within the and entire app- film. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently, that was the director himself. Mm-hmm. Yes, oh. yes, it was. Okay, uh, he ch- he shows up in in Annette as well. Yes, yes. I don't know. They, uh, Holy Motors was a movie that I had meant to get around to for a very long time, but uh, I'll freely allow that I was uh, possibly a little bit daunted by the uh, reputation that it had as being both uh, extremely entertaining and extremely cryptic. Uh, I wish I had gotten to it sooner. I I, I freaking loved this movie. Uh, Amongst other things, for the degree to which uh, it struck me, in fact, almost immediately, as a rumination on uh, several earlier periods of uh, French cinema in particular, but indeed cinema in general. Um, Oh, I love the the face mask as a... a uh, The the mask that Celine puts on later on. (laughs) Yes, uh, you know the reference point on that. One. Yeah, yeah. You you yeah. tell do tell us though. Yeah, e- Edith Scob, who played uh, Celine, uh, Mr. Oscar's driver to his uh, series of uh, mostly seemingly uninterconnected appointments, uh, was the hapless heroine. I guess would be the word of Georges Franju's, I believe, 1957, uh, Les Yeux Sans Visage or Eyes Without a Face. Yeah, uh, which is one of the absolute touchstones of uh, both French horror cinema and European horror cinema in general. Great, and not on great my poster. Yeah. N- not on my pile, actually. I saw it during last year's uh, Halloween marathon. Oh, excellent! So, yeah, yeah, I awesome. quite enjoyed it. So, so this movie already had my uh, my uh, affection just by getting Scob in there, uh, since Franju is one of my guys, and apparently he's one of Carax's guys as well. He actually got a special thanks in. Uh, the closing credits um so yeah no i i I, this uh this movie to a great extent was devouring some very complex uh or or, uh, material both in terms of its actual narrative as well as uh, sort of acting as as i say a rumination on uh the uh, the history of french cinema particularly french genre cinema uh which I think is an interesting sort of cross-generational thing in its own right, given that Franju, of course, was most famous during the period of uh, of uh, the Nouvelle Vague, uh, that uh, he was sort of deliberately 
re-digesting an even earlier period of uh, French cinema, the uh, the early silent serials of Louis Fouillade. Um, and it, 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 indeed, that the um, the uh, the reference with uh, with Edith Scobe as the driver wasn't the only very obvious uh, visual reference to one of Franju's pictures. Uh, the uh, I guess beggar that uh, Mr. Oscar played in his first uh, appointment uh, was almost identical to one of the disguises adopted by uh, the uh, the man without a face or Shadow Man from George Franju's last film, uh, the 1974 serial and subsequent feature adaptation, uh, uh, L'Homme Sans Visage, uh, which itself was uh, a remake of an earlier Foyad serial. I think it's uh, I think it's incredibly clear with this film just how much uh, Carax loves film in general. Uh, going going so far as to have uh, Godzilla's march in there showing up. So I knew that moment wonderful. was going to make you squee. Yeah, it made me very happy. That was my favorite segment as well. Mine too. Yeah, my mine too. Although scenes. I like the accordion. Yeah, that was really cool. That reminded me of an OK Go video. Yeah, the the, oh, yeah, yeah. the the entract was uh, was was just amazing. But uh, I don't know. It's a it's a fascinating picture. It's uh, I, I think the title has uh, is carrying a lot of freight in this case. Uh, as you said, the uh, ostensible or conscious idea of the film, uh, at least uh, according to Wikipedia, which I looked <laughs> up, uh, was to examine the interrelation of a technological society where organisms are existing you know, openly and freely and interchangeably with uh, technological things. I think I, I, I might be stumbling into death of the author uh, territory here as much as anything else. The impression or the feeling that I got, and again, I have no idea if I'm right, but I like the idea uh, as the movie was going uh, along was uh, the... Uh, well, I, I don't know. I suppose I, I've been kind of sucking up the oxygen. I'll get back to this. I feel confident I'll get back to this. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's there really is so much to talk about uh, with this thing. Just uh, the the makeup uh, effects throughout the thing, the prosthetic work. Um, though I do have one question. Uh, <laughs> I was looking on the parental guidance to make sure that I definitely couldn't watch this with my kids around. Uh, and they said that there was a scene where, uh, where you could see full frontal nudity from, from the main character, but that was blurred out on the yeah. 2B version. It was. Yep, it was. And I can't, I, I saw this last year on DVD. I don't remember if it was blurred out or not. So yeah, who oh. knows? Yeah. Then the snake things had lots yeah. of blurs around them. So I'm just wondering what that that was hiding. <laughs> well no I, that that I thought was kind of a deliberate uh uh visual effect. Well uh, I don't know. I, I don't, have to see. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I I really thought that was a blur because they can't show penetration or something and it was borderline penetration. Or at least CGI penetration. I mean, we've yeah. seen we've seen CGI penetration. We've seen Southland Tales. There's, there's CGI <laughs> penetration in that movie. Yeah. Every... I never made it through the first 20 minutes of it so i haven't oh that should that should that. Be, that should be on the pile then if you haven't seen that yes i mean i think <laughs> oh, three, please don't I think, do that to me <laughs> i think nate jenner and i have seen it enough times to talk about it for an hour or more oh, probably <laughs> i hated it so much you but should yeah you know, beside the point i hated it the real the real politic horror picture show um, <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I loved, uh, I loved the, uh, during, in the, in the sequence with the, I, I'm just going to call him the gnome because that's what something, uh, called him in the sequence where he's the hunch, crazy looking guy with a one false eye, one dead eye. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, apparently that's a, that's, that's a character from a, a film that he did, an anthology film he did with Michelle Gondry and, uh, Bong Joon-ho. Oh. Like, his, yeah, his, was his segment was just about that guy. I think his name was Mr. Merritt or something. Mr. Shit. <laughs> yeah, that's what he was billed, credited as. Mr. Shit. Mr. Yeah, Shit. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, the, the most recent uh, Shout Select Blu-ray of, uh, of this, which I need to pick up uh, post-haste, uh, apparently does include his sec- segment from Tokyo, which was the anthology. Uh, so, yeah, no, uh, looking forward to further adventures of Mr. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Now, when when they uh, at the end of that segment, when uh, Ava Mendez is is uh, dressed up and he's laying on her, I swear to God that looks like a painting that that I have seen like before. Pieta, kind of. Yeah. It, yeah, the mother, you know, uh, Mary and Christ, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. Yeah, definitely. Pieta. Not not your average Christ analog. Uh, my favorite part was when he's running through the park and he beats up the blind yes (laughs) i could not stop laughing (laughs) and then crawling down into the sewers and the um all those sort of um uh sewer people uh, let's (laughs) call them uh you know morlock type (laughs) whatever he was eating those were unbroken takes so yeah. he, was, he was swallowing that stuff. I saw that. I thought he was uh, uh, palming. Oh, palming it. Oh, okay. Maybe yeah. I, uh, okay. I, I, I was just, I, I was I was watching for the cut. Maybe I wasn't watching his hand. Maybe that was the misdirection. Was the fact yeah. that they didn't cut. I, I mean, at the same at the same time, it does point up uh, the absolute tour de force of the uh, the lead actor in this. Uh, Daniel Lavon, apparently a a repeat uh, collaborator of uh, of Carax's. This, I have not seen this dude before, but this dude's a beast. Yeah, uh, he is. Th- th- Do you think he did his stunts in the CGI mocap portion? I bet he did. It, I, I would just, believe it. Just from seeing him, just you know, sponta- almost spontaneously seeing, uh, you know, fully carrying Kylie Minogue up the stairs in the penultimate segment uh, segment of the movie, uh, I'm inclined to think he probably did. Uh, notice uh, <laughs> if you if you take a good look. That dude is cut. Uh, yeah. you know, he is yeah, a wiry little bastard uh, when you can actually see his, uh, his, his limbs, which, of course, is, uh, is not the expectation given uh, uh, by the, uh, the first shot that he appears in, uh, in what turns out to be the uh, blink-and-you-miss-it uh, banker's guys that he uh, uh, hops out of the car uh, to, uh, uh, to take out at one point, wearing a mask straight out of Shadow Man in its own right. That was the other uh, overt visual reference to Franju that I caught in the... Uh, in... You know, that I've, was also I, funny. I, yeah. I've actually... I've, I've seen this guy in another movie, uh, Beau Travail by Claire Denis. He plays the lead, which is it's a retelling of Billy Budd, where he plays a soldier, a, a soldier in the Middle East, which is a very subdued performance with no real physicality, except the very last scene for no reason. There's just a scene of him dancing like a madman. <laughs> I was like, "What?" So, so when I watched it, I was like, "I think it's that same guy because he's got the same physicality, it, and he's got one of those great faces, like the um, I can't remember his name, and the guy in those uh, Jeanne, Jeanne movies we saw. He's got one of those great, ugly but captivating faces. 
Oh, like Dominique uh, Pignon. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Claire Denis and uh, and uh, Leos Carax are apparently tight as well. I believe it was uh, her who suggested one of the lead actors. I think uh, Marion Cotillard for uh, uh, for Annette when some of the other uh, casting prospects that he, uh, he had had for that fell through. So, and she got a shout out in the uh, in the special thanks at the end of the movie as well. So yeah, they're tight. The uh, the sequence where where uh, he he meets himself basically and stabs himself <laughs> in the throat. Hey, um, Theo or whatever. Oh my god! My first yes. note, like they got me on that one because because I did not recognize that that was him at first, and it wasn't until they were changing he was changing up the facial stuff. I was like, oh shit, that's the same guy. No, I recognized him right off. I was yeah. like, I, I saw his nose, and I was like, "Him, it's the same guy. He's and, gonna kill himself." And note, and right. note that the one that scrambled away at the end was the one who had the shoes that had been transferred to the guy who stabbed, who got stabbed first. So we may have a, uh, if we were to take this as uh, a literal characterization, we may literally switch Mister Oscars in the middle of the movie. Well, except that when he was when he Effie killed. Theo, Theo, uh, he um, cut his face, and in that next scene, he just removes the scars because they'd been makeup. So, yeah. I... there's a little bit of ambiguity there, maybe, and of course, maybe but the, of course, maybe the cutting was fake as well. But of course, the, the following scene is the one where he uh, jumps out, shoots another character played by himself, and proceeds to get shot a whole bunch uh, before uh, Celine collects him for his next appointment, <laughs> which led to the. Uh, I'm going to get back to it at this point. The uh, the idea that I had, which was just sort of a general impression for the earlier part of the movie, but this was the point where I started to seriously think I was onto something. I essentially, that what we are watching is a movie about angelic possession, but we're never actually seeing the uh, uh, the characters who are being possessed. We're only seeing the possessing force. At the same time, these are not you know, blessed or glorious angels, these are quotidian angels. These are uh, angels representing the idea of God's love is stuff just keeps happening. They are, to borrow uh, Edgar Allan Poe's phrase, uh, phrase, angels of the odd. Uh, they are just, and again, this is one of the sort of fun underlying premises of the movie in the first place, the idea that all the random shit that happens is kind of a concerted effort of an organized agency. Well, I had a little bit different take, actually. So this was my second viewing. The first time, I had no idea what the hell was going on. Uh, but this time, I, you know, I, I really enjoyed the film. And I was looking around, and, um, you know, there's a scene in the middle where, the, where this guy with this big scar on his face talks to him about, you know, the miniature cameras and stuff. They're, they're making fucking TikToks. That's what they're doing. <laughs> they're going out. They're, they're Mr. Oscar, the uh, Kylie Minogue, the other, the, the niece. They're just running around making like dramatic, unfunny TikToks. That's why you got those. You got those ads in the in the cemetery. Those are just. That's just product placement. I mean, this was way before TikTok, and I'm sure there's uh, I, more I was going say on. A few, too, a few years too early, but I think you, I'd like no. Like I say, I don't believe that my idea is right. I just like it, but I like your idea as well. <laughs> But again, to circle back to the uh, uh, to sort of the, the heavy lifting that the title is doing this case, uh, the idea of holy motors, that being to say, that being, you know, the engines of the divine to get stuff done. And again, similarly, of course, the technological aspect of it, of course, everybody schlepping around in cars uh, in varying degrees. And ultimately, 
what is a holy motor if not the motor of a motion uh, of a motion picture film projector? Yeah. Ironically, this film was uh, uh, one of the ways that uh, Carax managed to save money on this was by shooting it digitally rather than film uh, on film, which he otherwise uh, w uh, has said he would never do. So that's an odd little irony there in its own right. You know what's also ironic? Watching fucking commercials during this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> to, uh, I, if I if I were to say to anyone coming into this for the first time or second or third to try to get something out of it. Uh, don't watch it on Tubi. This deserves <laughs> to be watched straight through. Uh, well, to be fair, when I watched Fried Green Tomatoes with ads, there was an ad in the middle of, uh, what's her face? Mary Louise Parker's death scene. Like, there's like, it just, it just right in the middle of the scene, just all of a sudden it was like insurance or like Applebee's or something. Or but, Aha Soda. I should have just paid the three ninety nine on Amazon. I yeah. yeah. I, I should have just sucked it up and gotten the damn Blu-ray ages ago. Yeah. Well, I'm not not gonna make that mistake again. But uh... <laughs> um, I liked. Uh, I found the least character really interesting of of all the uh, the women that show up within his appointments. Uh, Elise being the character who he kind of I guess he breaks character. For a moment to say hi and and to be like, hey, how are you doing? And uh, it's but good does, to see you again. Does he though? Or is that part of I, the appointment? I mean, it's hard to tell. I don't. I don't think I, it yeah. was part of the appointment. I think that that was one of the few times we saw like behind the curtain, so to speak. If you're to go to with my uh, with, with my idea, it's just that basically these angels are just randomly, briefly possessing people for random, brief reasons, and this is just you know two angels on two different sides of the same appointment getting something very specific done. Yeah, you know, one one of, one of them is occupying the mourned, the other one is occupying the mourner, and where the when they're both done, like I say, we never actually see the people they're possessing per se. So of course, uh, you know the angel occupying the mourned gets up and goes about his business because, well, there's no spirit in that body anymore. Again, like I say, I like this idea. I don't think I'm right. I don't think anybody's interpret... This movie is absolutely going to be completely resistant to anything resembling a definitive interpretation. No. But in the words of the uh, of the architect Robert Smithson, you know, uh, create enigmas, not a, not explanations. And this one is a delicious, delicious collection of enigmas. Uh, and that's... it's it it's the sort of thing that it is fun to speculate around. That's the kind of thing I like about surrealist cinema in general. I love speculating around uh, around around this type of stuff. Anshian Andalou is probably one of my single favorite films of all time uh just because it's there are so many different interpretations you can come up with with what the hell is going on and well, the didn't same... they purposely oh, say there there was no interpretation they, they purposely wanted to make it as random as possible yeah i mean that's what they said but they they could have been lying knowing them it's it's like a it's like a diving board into a pool of of riches <sighs> of 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 theory and and just it, discussion it, it, and it's like it's like my my lingering idea that if there is a god and god loves us god's love takes on a very strange shape you know it's god love but what if god's love is just stuff keeps happening you know you found a five dollar bill on the side of the road great go on with your bad self oh it was covered in dog shit wipe it off go on with your bad self you got hit by a car great 
you lived? Great, here, have some more stuff. Um, and I, I, and I think the my angel's interpretation of this kind of kind of gels with that. It's it's just cogs in the machine. It's just you know the angelic forces or divine forces that are moving events a little bit further in one direction or another for you know brief periods. Blessedly, this is the kind of ambiguity that does not piss Jane off. It <laughs> is. Uh, it, I I absolutely adored it, and it it seems like I shouldn't have loved it, but was just so entertaining and i i didn't even really feel like questioning it all that much either i just enjoyed it which isn't normal for me <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's where i got lost on my first viewing i was waiting for the narrative and mm -hmm. you know it never comes so I, I had a bit of advance warning on that particular okay. front i i kind of knew sort of what i was getting into from a structural standpoint uh coming into this but I mean, good lord, sounded fun, and in the end, uh, in the end, it comes up as just a a feast of uh, audiovisual stimulation, and as uh, but uh, you know, there's you know, there's there's lots of neat stuff in this movie. Just you know, don't go looking for anything resembling a definitive hat tip. I will freely allow. The chimpanzees at the end are very <laughs> resistant to my current favored interpretation of this film. <laughs> That's something a TikToker would do, though. It yeah, is. Definitely. I, yeah. um, what was I going to say? I forgot now. Oh, the, uh, this time around, knowing like, what I was getting into, and I, I'd forgotten most of the movie because uh, it's just because it's so, it, it is so seemingly disjointed. So this time it was basically just, okay, cool, what's next? Oh, cool, what's next? Just kind of looking forward to the next. I guess appointment or whatever. So it, it was it was really enjoyable to watch in that way and to be kind of freed of, of of looking for some kind of meaning or or narrative. I uh, I actually like uh, Roger Ebert's review. I'm not going to read it or anything. It's very short. It's not like one of those like one line like Pauline Kale one liners, <laughs> but it basically he he gave it three and a half stars out of four, and it was basically like this is kind of cool, but what the fuck. <laughs> he, you know, he, just, had a, he had a lot of reviews like that uh and sometimes it was you know this is, is i don't like this and what the fuck and sometimes it's i do like this and what the fuck but he wasn't he, he, he wasn't great at diving too deeply into more ambiguous material but uh at, at least he was good enough to acknowledge that he enjoyed himself watching it i guess so i uh, i want to talk a little bit about the kylie Min minogue scene uh, yes, because we get segment. a musical number. We do get a musical number. <laughs> Three quarters of the way through the movie, surprise! It's Kylie we, Minogue, who, of course, they flash uh, uh, forward to a little bit by having uh, uh, "Can't Get You Out of My Head" at the teen party, uh, and as her ringtone too, as Angelique. Yeah. yeah. And in the meantime, he's in the car listening to Sparks. We'll get back to that, uh, but. Uh, it's you know, three quarters of the way through the movie, and it's oh, it's Kylie Minogue. Oh, it's a musical number. Nice. <laughs> and it was very random because there weren't really any other like musical numbers. Yeah. I mean, it was there was the the accordion guys, which were great. Three, That's, twelve, shit. That that that, <laughs> that, that, that track slapped so fucking so good. hard. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, that was right there that was, was worth the price of it. And they that, they that look was a, so cool too. There's a bunch of guys with accordions and it bangs. <laughs> <laughs> they looked like badasses and they had accordions. That's that's pretty yeah. impressive. Yeah, that that that's a strut. That's 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 a proper flex right there. I, I, and I would not have uh, been surprised if somebody said that our uh, hero lead actor also played his own accordion. Oh, probably. Maybe. 
I have great, I have great confidence in this guy's skills just at this point. I know, right? You uh, could do any. I I need to get back to the Kylie Minogue scene because it's yeah. the it's the it's the one that haunts me. The the that segment haunts me because it's the one where at the end when you find her corpse and he actually re- reacts to it on an emotional level. That's where I can't tell what is appointment, what is gig, and what is what is not. That is the point where my brain breaks, and uh, I love it for that. Uh, it's it's a moment where whatever internal logic I had created in my head as the movie went along, uh, it broke right there, and that's where I think it it defies uh, interpretation for me. Is if they're angels, why would he care that 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 a, that a body is dead if it's really dead i mean he died earlier twice so is this real death or or is this just another appointment well or... wasn't I, he, he, I he think... was only he was only upset until he got back in the limo right so no I... he's he screamed when he saw her her body and right. ran into the limo and then right. he and, continued and, to drink god knows what according to celine and uh smoke god smoke knows what what god knows what <laughs> So had his little, I think it had, really had affected him. Had had his little uh, when do I get to sing my way moment. Uh, oh, I know, right? <laughs> that, that's that's when he got to sing my way. I I don't know. As far as my whole angel idea, I think that was her ultimate act on this plane. I think that was uh, her leaving, and he's upset not because she's dead, whatever the fuck that means, but because she is gone and he's still here. Oh, and she was asking. She did think that he must have been retired by this point. He'd been doing it for so long, which probably means she'd been doing it for that long as well, since they were both working together at the same time. But she told him right there, you know, that her next appointment was a uh, stewardess or, you know, air hostess. Well, she was uh, in the outfit. With her last night on Earth. So, I mean, she said she was going to kill herself. So he, he knew. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. That's that's where it <laughs> that's where I it know. confounds me. That's that's the moment that confounds me. Yeah, cuz uh, cuz he reacts to something that he already knows. She's in the outfit. She's she's going to do the appointment. He knows what the appointment is and then he sees the repercussions of the appointment and is surprised by it. Which is it's, d- it's the difference between thinking something or knowing something and feeling something. That's how I, kind of how I took that. Hmm. Interesting. It it was the one moment where I wasn't sure if I could connect with the characters on an emotional level because I wasn't quite sure what was happening. And um, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think this film is going to be fun for all of us who hadn't seen it before to rewatch at some point here. Yeah. Especially without damn commercials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm mean, gonna have to rewatch this without commercials. I mean, I Jess, mean, Jess didn't get com- to see this one, so she'll have to see it too. I mean, up to a point, bless the uh, bless the uh, commercial streaming model for making stuff available. On the other hand, geez. <laughs> yeah. You know? uh, yeah. Yeah. One, two, I wish two. you could like uh, watch commercials as a credit. You know, like like it. If you watch an hour's worth of commercials, you can have 24 hours of streaming. <laughs> that is not a bad idea. It is not a bad idea. I would totally bite that bullet. I probably would, too. 
I just so, read uh, a book while it was on. I was about yeah. to say, you know, we would abso- uh, absolutely exploit that just by, it's like, okay, I'm going to set stopwatch, go out, you know, smoke a cigarette. Well, they'd have to have like an interactive thing where you have yeah. to say what? next or something. I, I think you're not, Anybody they, listening? This is a money-making idea. I was about to say, at this point, I'm not sure you want to be giving them this idea. This this could Why? this could snowball badly and fast. <laughs> <laughs> they, they sort of addri- they sort of address this in an uh, episode of Black Mirror where you have to be looking at it, or it just beeps and shouts at you if you're not watching the ad. Oh, okay. I, I don't, well, I don't, I don't know how they would do that. Something yeah. like that. When there's an ad on a video, um, if you don't have that window selected, it will beep at you, or not beep at you. It'll just stop, and it won't continue to play. Like I'll be like, oh, it's just a commercial, and I go over to check my email, and it won't continue. Yeah, we not we not only spend most of our time convincing robots that we're not robots, but also convincing robots that we're paying attention to them. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of what this movie is about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, one little detail I, I noticed. I watched this right after Annette. Um, and in the opening scene, or one of the opening scenes, where he's uh, in the limo, and he's like calling and talking to like a security guy or something. He uses the name uh, Defrenu. Which is yep. the same name as uh, uh, Marion Cotillard's character in uh, Annette. So I, I don't, I don't know what the significance of that yeah, is. That he, he also, he also plays a character called Henry at some point. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, or at least there was a reference to a Henry in there somewhere. Yeah. Oh no, Henry was the partner who was running up the stairs and ended up going over the side with uh, with Kylie Minogue. <laughs> okay. So yeah, another you know, destructed male. <laughs> Well, uh, does anybody have any final thoughts they'd like to share on Holy Motors? It's a delight, but don't go into it uh, expecting to, quote, get it, end quote. And I I thought I wasn't going to like it. Well, I didn't. It's not that. I just normally don't like this kind of, you know, oh, I, I want a narrative. I want a narrative. It didn't have one. It didn't need one. And I still loved it. It had lots of little narratives. It didn't have one overarching. I wanted an. I normally want an overarching. I want to find some sort of meaning, but eh. leaves you free to speculate. I suppose, but you know, that does leave doesn't leave me free for much else. I mean, like <laughs> it's like it's like I'll be I'll have to worry at that puzzle until I feel satisfied. And sometimes I don't want there to be a puzzle. But on this one, I didn't worry it about it. I sort of accepted it and loved it i also love that not only at uh at the end did uh did either edith scob put the eyes without a face mask on but uh she made a phone call and said she was coming home and i'm thinking she's calling her dad <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna have to explain that uh her, her dad was the uh was the crazed doctor from eyes without a, uh, without a face who was trying to reconstruct uh her uh ruined looks there you go yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, on that, why don't we go ahead and take our break? Uh, we'll be right back. Okay, we are back. Uh, next up, we're going to be talking about Annette, a. Uh, a film that just came out on Amazon Prime. Um, this was on, as we were saying at the top of the show, this is on my pile. Uh, this is on everybody's piles because it's brand new. 
Uh, it stars Adam Driver and Jenner. You say her name because I'm going to massacre it. Uh, Marion Cotillard. Thank you. I, I, I've been saying Marion Cotillard is the you're, best you're, I could do. You're very close. It, it, it's, uh, you're, you're not getting uh, la trille à la gorge, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I have, I have no it, kind a, of it, accent to speak of. It's That's a valiant good enough for Americans. C'est à la française en écolote. Thank you. Um, no, I've, for, I've forgotten all my verbs, but uh, but uh, I still remember some of the pronunciations. <laughs> uh, this should be, I, I guess, interesting because um, I did not like this film, and you guys loved it. Loved. Loved. I yeah. liked it. Okay, so we, 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 we run the we, gamut. I, we have to admit that we were biased coming into it. And see, I, because again, spark. And and that's what that's something I wonder because. This is my introduction to Sparks. I know nothing yeah. about them really? other than this one movie. This is it. See, I, I, I listened to them I, in I, high school. Okay. I mean, I, I only watched all their videos. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd only heard about them because I knew that Edgar Wright had just made a documentary about them. That's the only yeah. exposure I had to them. Which is and itself that, an absolute joy and two and a half hours long. Absolutely <laughs> fantastic. And we learned so much. I mean, I had no idea. They were basically the fathers of... Um, the uh, electronic uh, uh, synth EDM synth wave, um, yeah. Okay. Well, I no, mean, in this case, back in the eighties. No, seventies. Seventies, late. 70s. Yeah, it was like late seventies. They did an album, and there was a scene in the Edgar Wright thing that was done in cartoons where they're talking about um, that somebody asked the guy from the Pet Shop Boys about. Sparks and he said fuck you and walked away. <laughs> oh, he said no. He said wow. you're naughty. <laughs> oh no, I thought he said fuck you. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was much stronger. But no, anyway, but, uh, weirdly enough, my first exposure to this uh, to this band, which I didn't even realize until much, much or very, very recently, was that they did the Armies of the Night track from the Dance Club in the original Fright Night. Uh, oh, that I know said, that I've, I've uh, seen that one. Huh. Yeah, that said, I had uh, I had no idea who they were, and I didn't uh, know any of the rest of their work until uh, Guy Madden, you know, my uh, my uh, erstwhile uh, seventh favorite director, uh, ended up including as sort of an entract in its own right uh, a scene with uh, Sparks in his uh, most recent feature, The Forbidden Room, which was called The Final Derriere. And starting was Udo Kier. Starting Udo Kier as a guy who keeps going to a doctor to literally remove his uh, pieces of his brain because he can't stop obsessing over asses. The song is weirdly epic. Uh, so that was what kind of got me on uh, on board uh, for uh, for Sparks uh, to some extent. But I started really picking them up actually a lot more recently after I started delving both into their back catalog as well as their most recent album, which is called A Steady Drip, 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 which has some absolute uh, joys in its own right. And if we ever get married, we're definitely going to play um, all, all that. that at our wedding because it is perfect, absolutely perfect. So. No, I, I absolutely recommend looking up uh, some of their other stuff uh, on YouTube. The video for uh, Edith Piaf said it better than me, uh, which is done in stop motion, is uh, both an amazing song as well as an amazing video. And I do find it a certain 
elegance, given that most of their other choices for lead actress in a net fell through, that they ended up getting the actress who played Edith Piaf in La Vie en Rose. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a nice little, uh, a nice little grace note there. Uh, I I hate to start any kind of conversation on this because I I'm going I'm very negative about the film and that's okay okay it's a it's <laughs> it's a it's a very dark opinion. and ins- it's a very dark and in some ways very dour uh movie yeah it's, it's a bummer musical it, it's a jaunty movie about the most toxic of toxic masculinity uh, yeah which is probably one reason that's a huge thing for me I, narcissistic white men. Uh, being main characters, I'm so I'm tired of them. I lived with one for for my entire childhood, and uh, I I don't like revisiting them very often. And I got to do that with this movie through Adam Driver, who I don't think I particularly like as an actor. I, I think that might be part of it as well. I'm I'm just not a fan of his. I didn't like his Kylo Ren. I thought he was snivelly and kind of whiny, which I guess is right for the character, but still it. it it bothered it bothered me. His performances feel like that to me. They feel kind of snivelly and whiny. Oh, but have you seen Dead? The Dead Don't Die. No, I have not. Now, then, that one will probably change your mind. Okay. Because yeah, that... he is a delight in that one. Now, a Marriage Story. Don't ever watch that. No, I won't. I won't. I will <laughs> never recommend that movie to anybody. It was brilliantly done. Horrible. Just horrible. <laughs> oh, that's a. That's I, a I, hard I like movie. I like hmm? Marriage Story. But really? uh, oh no! I, like you I, enjoyed it. Like you would watch it and go, "Yeah, this is I, great." <laughs> I didn't. I didn't enjoy it. I thought it was a good movie. <laughs> I, 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 I'm I'm with Shane on this one. I I, I liked it, but uh, I don't feel the need to revisit it again anytime soon. Just because there are some moments of emotionality in that that are so painful and so agonizingly raw. Uh, it, it, it's the sort of thing that I liked, but I'm a little afraid of. <laughs> and, and I'll I, go with that too. I, I think I agree with Nate. I mean, Adam Driver. I could admire that he's a that he's a good actor, but I I don't. Maybe it's the characters he he, he tends to play. I just tend to not enjoy his performances. Like I thought he was great in this, and while I like this movie, I really didn't like watching him. I mean, I I don't <laughs> think you were supposed to like watching him. It was it was yeah. very unpleasant. Um. I really like but, Adam Driver. I um, do too. Gra- granted, you're not supposed to like him in this movie. That's yeah. kind of the point from beginning to end. Uh, it it's it's a tough role. Uh, I did it's like a tough role. I did like Simon <laughs> Simon Krellberg. Is that his name? Si- yeah. Si- yeah. Simon uh, Helberg. Helberg. Yeah. I'm thinking from of the Big Krellberg. Bang Theory. <laughs> you're thinking of what I was like. Yeah, that's another movie. <laughs> that is another. That's a whole other thing. Uh, no, I, yeah. The only thing I know him from is is Big Bang Theory, and so it, I did keep seeing that character. But I thought he did a great job breaking great. out of the stereotype, uh, that stereotypical character he plays. Uh, well, he, he he actually did have a little bit of a dry run for this, playing uh, Cosme McMoon, the accompanist uh, or the accompanist for the uh, the infamous Florence Foster Jenkins in the movie of the same title with Meryl Streep. Huh. Uh, I think he does his own piano playing, which is kind of neat. It looks uh, like it. it. It looks like it. He was also in. I saw a movie maybe 15 years ago, a Jake Kasdan movie called The TV Set. Which I think is an underseen yes, movie. Yes, yes, that he movie. Plays like this, that's a hard put upon writer. <laughs> yeah, he that's... plays a put upon writer, from what I remember, and he was really no, good no, that. He... that was way before the Big Bang Theory. Or is he the uh, is he the he was... is he the asshole writer who wins? 
No, no, he was uh, he he was the actor that uh, that David Duchovny's character wanted to end up oh, playing right. the, the lead role in a series, uh, but he ended up uh, losing out to Fran Kranz because he uh, decided to go into the audition with a beard like the Duchovny character had. In other words, he tried to appeal to the writer oh, instead right. of the producers. He was moist. He was moist in Dr. Horrible moist. sing-along blog. <laughs> blog. Um, I, the TV set is actually on my pile. Like, Oh, I would love to read oh, this. I one. have not yeah. seen it. I, let's remember that. It's right. going to make you angry, Nate. You heard It'll it. Make, it it's, 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 it's designed a, to make someone like you angry. Yeah, oh, like no. I said, that, that is a hard little movie. I like it a lot. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, that, that movie is not an easy watch. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, like this movie, which I don't think was an easy watch. <laughs> <laughs> um, there were also, there, there were some technical things I, I didn't agree with artistically. Uh, this is, of course, all opinion and whatnot. But I really didn't like the opening, the way it was edited to the music. And I know a lot of people will probably think that that's an interesting thing to do. But I don't like that kind of splashy editing. To me, it's the mark of an amateur. And I don't think they should have done it. Um, And they did a lot of those kind of overlay segments that, to me, did not look very good. Um, One of them looks straight up like, like one of the cutscenes from The Seventh Guest. And... That that kind of bothered me as well. And did you notice uh, Marion Cotillard? Her her credit was black text over her black clothes. So you saw like two letters, <laughs> like when they're walking that down the street and singing. It. Yeah, I noticed you couldn't see her name because it was black on black. Oh wow, that's a little bit sloppy. I you know I actually came into this movie. I didn't know anything about it. All, all I saw on Amazon was that it was about a stand-up comedian. And um, so stand-up comedy is like one of my obsessions. That's how I got into podcasting. So I've listened to like hundreds of hours of comedians talking about what their lives are like. And one thing they always bitch about is how movies never get, get stand-up comedy right. So I was wondering, is this going to be one of the ones that gets it right? I think there's only been one, which is uh, Sleepwalk With Me with, by Mike Birbiglia. But yes, that's, that's literally yes, his autobiography, yes. though. But I know yeah. that like Punchline, Punchline with Tom Hanks and Sally Field is seen as like a joke by stand-up comics. But so I went into this movie thinking, are they going to get it right? Within five seconds, during the opening, uh, just voiceover, I was like, okay, this this movie has no interest in stand-up comedy. I'm just going to let it go. <laughs> yeah, that, um, that, and, and was, that was actually a little discussion that Jane and I had as we were watching it, which is, is this the routine or is this about the routine? And yeah, it, I, it, I, I think we settle most, uh, mo- most uh, comfortably on the latter interpretation. It was stylized. It was yes. stylized. Whereas I was like, well, this is kind of a brilliant thing to do but i kept wondering is, is it is it stylized or not and it is I, i'm sure of it now yeah, uh, especially yeah, I, later when he does a, a second performance and it's completely different i, I mean, there's some like andy coffin in there there's some uh, there's some bo burnham in there um so maybe zach, like zach galifianakis does stuff sort of like that not as mean but kind of yeah. that sort of audience off-putting you know purposely off-putting kind of stuff there, there's some definite uh, sort of anti-jokes to the uh, to the whole uh, stand-up uh, comedy aspect of the thing. I, I I agree with you. I don't think that they were interested in stand-up comedy as a thing no, in its own right. Not uh, at they all. Were, they were interested in it as a uh, a subject rather than a practice. But um, I don't. Know, I I I actually did end up getting a chuckle, a couple of chuckles uh, from the first uh, round of uh, of uh, driver's stage routine. I think almost in spite of itself. But uh, <laughs> um, when. 
when yeah. he does the uh, the segment of uh, uh, killing his wife in the second stand-up routine, I just kept thinking while watching it, I know this is supposed to be extremely disturbing as it would be to the audience, but I think that considering the way audiences actually do react in reality, I think he would still have a career after that. <laughs> I don't think that that would phase his career in any way whatsoever. Well, I mean, well, if, before, if, before, if, if before, fucking Louis C.K. can make a, a comeback. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. But exactly. Do, do you mean before? So, so, so he said he killed his wife before he killed his wife, right? Right. right. So are, are you saying are you saying he would have had a career after that or after that or after actually killing his wife? No, no, not. No. <laughs> He's somewhere <laughs> in between those in, two Okay, points. so before actually killing his wife. Yes, he before been actually yeah, killing his Henry, wife. Henry McHenry, live from Folsom Prison. There, there, <laughs> there are few people outside of Matthew Broderick who can get away with killing people and still have a career. Vince Neil. Yeah. <laughs> Caitlyn Jenner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> leaving that aside for the moment. Um, Jesus. No, it, it's not interested in the art of stand-up comedy. That's just sort of uh, yeah, an, yeah. an artifice. It just has sort of a few comments to make on I think they get the style of comedy. They just weren't interested in any writing any of the actual jokes for that style of comedy. The I mean, they say it uh, directly: a mildly offensive evening with. Um, <laughs> yeah, I yeah, mean, no, I, it, I let that go as soon as the movie started. I was like, yeah, this is not that kind of movie. So yeah, let me, uh, I, let me take I, I it think, for what it is. I think what it I find helps in my case is to not think of the movie as a musical per se, but rather to think of it as an opera or possibly an operetta. Uh, not least because most conventional movie musicals have a lot more sort of spoken dialogue between songs. Like, you know, here's a song, here's stuff going on, here's a song, here's stuff going on. Whereas this one uh, has more recitative than any movie that I've seen since Repo the Genetic Opera, which also, of course, claimed to be an opera. And in this case, frankly, I think the recitative uh, worked a lot better. That is to say, sp singing lines that would otherwise be spoken, even if they don't necessarily, you know, rhyme or anything like that but at the same time uh it also helps in my uh or I I in my estimation sort of thinking of it as having a very sort of similar narrative thrust to uh, a lot of sort of the the great classical and romantic uh grand operas uh there was lots of people getting killed on the regular in those and there were lots of you know protagonists uh not getting away with not nothing uh in that sort of era, and at the same time, I think uh, I think there were a couple of visual references uh, in Marion Cotillard's uh, uh, stage performances, particularly to Dvorak's Rusalka, uh, which, like a lot of operas, had a, a I believe an unhappy ending. But uh, that that might be just sort of a general impression from having seen uh, a, a Fathom event uh, screening of Rusalka a few years back. <laughs> But it was a similar sort of uh, stylized uh, stage, stage construction, but at the same time, it was you know, sort of the tragic heroine. The tragic heroine was very often a thing. You know, the tragic hero usually killed the tragic heroine. I did not like a lot of the, <laughs> the music myself. Um, oh, I, I, I actually did. That's... Yeah, well, I, I adored it all. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I, I didn't like... Um, I didn't like the way lines were written, essentially. It, like, some of it was so blatant. It, it was almost too blatant for me. Uh, like, 
this is a baby was was one line <laughs> that really bothered this is a baby that's a that's not a great line that's not a great line for a movie which made me think this movie is not really interested about being a film either in my opinion it's interested about being being a concept album for sparks it, it most of, it's 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 a lot of telling and not showing uh a lot of um i am a conductor i am a conductor that was fantastic that, I the, mu- that the music the music in that Simon sequence Helberg was great was just uh, amazing every every scene every little bit i i just loved him I, I, but i i do see what you mean but you know when you think about it when they say this is a baby they pretty much had to tell us because we wouldn't have known well, that's that was <laughs> Je- just did immediately follow that up with no, that is a nightmare, <laughs> <laughs> which may actually be kind of the point there in its own right. But uh, the uh, I took the this is a baby as sort of an expression of bemused wonderment, not the happy kind of wonderment, but more along the lines of, OK, this is a baby. <laughs> the fuck do I do with it? Exploit it. Which again, which again is kind of, <laughs> kind of kind of the thrust for the second half of the picture. In any event, which um, the, the I, uh, I, I really got some Charlie Kaufman vibes out of this movie with the you know the puppet baby, the exploiting the the young girl. I mean, that I was, can I can I mean, absolutely that, see that. I mean, that's probably why Nate hates it too. I could I could totally see that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is a a big a big part of it. My impression from reading up a bit on the background of this is they actually started uh, with, uh, or the, the germ, the first germ of the idea was with the idea of the singing baby, and then they just kind of reverse engineered everything from there. So you're actually quite right. Uh, apparently, it was more or less originally conceived as a concept album, but uh, Sparks themselves had uh, met up a few years earlier with uh, with Carax at uh, a film festival and uh, had to, you know, thanked him for using uh, the, uh, uh, one of their songs in Holy Motors. Uh, they were fans. Carax was a fan. And so after years and several unsuccessful attempts for decades of trying to actually get a Sparks movie musical made, uh, this is the one that finally actually got made. Um, as I say, I will freely allow that this movie is probably a lot more endearing if you're already a Sparks fan. I, I often say that uh, they are the only band I can think of that regularly, indeed almost constantly, gets away with rhyming a word to itself. Oh no. I, that's, that's, I hate that so much. Oh, that's they're, all. They're, the only, they're the only ones who get away with it. I don't know anybody else, but they're weirdly really good at it. I, um, I mean, and, and they got a remarkable amount of mileage out of repeating the same line over and over and over. Yeah, that, we that love was, each other so much. That was. Oh, they Some entire scenes were just one line over and over and over, including they, that. They one. Have a, they they have a song and it's an amazing song uh, called "My Baby's Taking Me Home." That that's the only line in the song, and they say it over and over and over again, and it's epic. Um, <laughs> I found it, it very creepy when when Simon Helberg sang that song to the baby because that had been the sex scene song to me before that, oh. and so it, oh yeah, oh, I think this... there's some, I think there's supposed to be some squicking. That was very squicky. <laughs> I, I didn't think it was that squicky. I thought that that was just his expression of love for the baby and just like, well, you know, uh, Henry McHenry and, and, and his woman. I can't, I can't remember the character's name. Anne. <laughs> Anne. Um, Defre- Defreno. 
Yeah, Fredo. Um, <laughs> that was their expression of love, you know, but, and it wasn't so much about the sex, but I will admit that was one weird little sex scene. So. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward musical sex scene. Let's go. <laughs> Did anybody else notice that there's bananas all over this movie? I don't know what the the whole yeah. point was. But oh, there's he like loves bananas apes. everywhere. Oh, right. It was the that whole. He was the, the ape, oh, ape, that, ape of God. Oh, okay, and then okay. she had that monkey uh, doll. Okay. That, that makes more that sense. That little monkey doll. She had I, it. It's I just kept seeing baby. bananas and didn't know why. Like, he puts out a cigarette on a banana at one point, and he just has bananas everywhere. Karak seems to like using apes as, uh, as metaphor in his films. I can see that. He also Sorry. likes using the audience as a character in his films. I notice he did that in both this and Holy Motors. This oh, to yeah. a greater extent. Which I did, that is something I did like. I, I liked having the audience as a character. I thought that was interesting. Um, singing character. Yeah, singing They were a character. chorus of sorts. It reminded me a lot of shock treatment with Denton, Denton, yeah. you got no pretense. Def- <laughs> definitely got a little bit of that uh, there as well, but th- thank you for shouting out uh, my uh, my uh, uh, well one of my three favorite musicals. <laughs> um, yeah, I love that one. I know I know I'm in the I'm in the minority on that. Sadly, yeah, because I don't love that one. Yeah, I, I mean, you, I th- you didn't finish that one, but uh... I couldn't finish. That. I, honestly, I, I think I would. I, 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 I would listen to the soundtrack for this before I would watch the movie again. I think, although I didn't hate the movie. I mean, I, I did like the music a lot. It was my very first exposure to Spark. Well, do try their Hippopotamus album. Uh, um, Hippopotamus and A Steady Drip, Drip, uh, Drip, Drip, Drip are both absolute joys. And after that, you kind of work backward. But the interesting thing about the band is they keep reinventing themselves and their style completely every few years. Uh, it's uh, sort of one of their more endearing aspects of uh, musically because you know there are lots of you can listen to an early sparks album and it's not going to sound anything like a late sparks album aside from to some extent basically everything they've uh, they've ever done does resonate with uh this uh, this town ain't big enough for the both of us um that that that's a song that sounds like it could have been on any of their albums from beginning from the beginning of their career to the end um well they are brothers who are 70 ish years old i yeah. mean so yeah are they brothers they're brothers yes the male brothers and ron the older one with the mustache he is um my spirit animal yeah <laughs> and he is a huge fan of french cinema like, okay there, there is so actually that's a song one of the that reasons they... why he really wanted this there there is there is actually a, so- a song that they did in 2017 uh, with Leos Carax doing a guest vocal uh, uh, called "When You're a French Director," uh, which is <laughs> kind of kind of delightful in its own right. <laughs> yeah, but Ron does most of the uh, of the actual lyrics uh, and uh, and music, and uh, Russell is you know kind of kind of the cute front man. He's he, he's uh, the uh, he 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 is uh, he's Ron's instrument. Is what we have been led to believe. I do sometimes wonder, and indeed, the Sparks Brothers documentary. Uh, leads us to wonder a little bit as well. Uh, does have just about the most shocking final shot of uh, of any musical documentary that uh, that I've ever seen uh, in in an utterly delightful way. That's one possibly worth going back and visiting at some point. Although realistically, if you you know, catch up a little bit on Sparks tracks before that, it'll probably be a lot more enjoyable. I do still want to see the documentary. Um, 
even though I didn't like this. Uh, mostly because so many people speak so highly of, of them. And well, I'll freely allow it's not their best music. Uh, no, okay. it's not. I, I liked it a lot, but uh, a lot of a lot of their poppier stuff is just sort of instantly and tremendously enjoyable. This is actually their. If this was going to be a concept album, this would have been absolutely their most difficult album in a very, very long time, as I understand. But that's all right. I will take you know minor sparks with an interesting, I think, uh, narrative behind it over most other musical options available. Mm. But again, like I say, that is coming from absolutely from a standpoint of a late convert to this particular cult. <laughs> <laughs> I think part of part of the reason I, I didn't like the film was uh, just I don't like movies about famous rich people and their problems. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it is a pre- it, it's a pretty standard Hollywood story too. If you yeah. really yeah. pick oh, yeah. it apart, like at its at its core. There Except for the flying surprises. puppet baby. That's that's the one. Yeah. Big... It's kind of the it's kind of the anti star is born. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I you know I really like the whole puppet thing. I at first I was like you know when it, whenever I see like a birth scene on a movie I, I'm always like that's not a that's not a newborn and then I'm like this one I was like that baby is made out of wood <laughs> yeah. and I was like well maybe they just did that just for the scene no. Then you see him holding this baby who has joints you know, for its wrists and, and uh, you know, not ball joints, but, uh, but you know, joints. And I, I just, at first I was like, this is an odd choice. It's odd. And then, but at the end, when she visits him in jail. When she turns into a real person. When she turns into a real person. Can we I mean, shout out to, the, lo- can oh, we shout out to that kid's voice, yeah. by the way? That little girl. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, she was I love that ex- actress. She was so good. <laughs> but basically, they were exploiting this baby because they didn't think that she was a person. They thought she was a puppet, an extension. You know, you know what do a I do with this? A lifestyle prop. A lifestyle prop and eventually a money-making machine. And it just was, I, I, it just made so much sense when he had to, like, shed that notion of her right there in jail and that no, the la- the final scene is of that doll, lifeless on the floor with the monkey, because it it that that consideration of her is dead. You know, he he can't uh, pretend that she's not a person anymore. And I I That's did think it was a beautiful moment when she you know she refuses to sing and then outs him on the biggest stage in the world, which I think mm-hmm. I mean assuming the Hyper Bowl is the Super Bowl, that that's the yeah. biggest stage there can be, right, in today's mm-hmm. media. De- definitely yeah, was, had a strong, pretty... definitely had a strong one froggy evening vibe, but in a way that I thought that really worked for it. It's... That uh, that that scene had my favorite line in the movie, uh, which was from the announcer, which was Annette is, after all, a baby. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's fundamentally a very nasty story, but as I say, it's d- done in not categorically, but to, to a great extent, a uh, a, a an oddly jaunty vibe for well what's fundamentally a relatively downbeat piece of work it's it, it's not an easy film to approach but again coming absolutely and uh, from a standpoint of uh, of uh, goodwill going into the thing i did really love this uh 
probably not in any particularly objective way, or at least possibly not in any particularly objective way. But uh, I, I thought it was physically beautiful. I thought it was stylistically daring. I can absolutely, I, I want to see it again. If nothing else, uh, to sort of see the the nudges in the uh, in the editing that you kind of pointed out there, mm-hmm. uh, they they didn't register with me on the first try, but uh, I, I'm looking forward to a repeat viewing. Yeah, I basically, and, I know you didn't like the beginning, Nate, but I, we finished it, and I said, "Can we watch the first five minutes again?" <laughs> Just that, right, like that. That, 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 that opening tra- song was very catchy. That track is absolutely an earworm. It has uh, to it, be because they it, say it, the same thing over and over. It is probably the uh, well. I mean, uh, you gotta love a movie that starts off with a French pun. Yeah, see. Uh, so, uh, so can we start? May we? May we start? Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's yeah. still looking kind of happy at that point. Well, Adam Driver still looks like a grouch in that scene. But well, as yeah, much as anything, as much as anything else, it's leaning into the inherent theatricality of it. Um, yeah, no. The, the, this is a movie that is very, very conscious that it is a movie with people performing in a movie that they are showing you the story of, if that makes, uh, <laughs> uh, if that uh, suffers any clarity. But no, the uh, there is already a version of the soundtrack album out called Selections uh, from the soundtrack album, uh, the Khan edition, uh, which includes most of the sort of more integral numbers of the thing. Apparently later on, there's going to be something like a, uh, a two-disc uh, re-release that's pretty much the entire score for the thing, as well as some of the original concept tracks that they laid down when they were looking at this as a concept album rather than as an actual sort of performed um, you know, stage or screen musical. Uh, so looking forward to, uh, to that one as well, just for sort of the original Sparks versions of the songs where we got Marianne Cotillard singing, which is always a good thing, and Adam Driver singing, which is a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's, it, it wasn't it's, terrible. It's, it's endearing, if not sort of. Don't give up your day job. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you can tell he's not trained, but it's not like god awful. It's not Russell Crowe in Les Mis. Oh, well, no, that Jesus. that that was actually a deliberate stylistic choice because, on the one hand, his singing was terrible. On the other hand, Javert's singing would be terrible. <laughs> I don't know. I, I've, I've, heard, I've heard Neil Patrick one. Harris do a really good Javert. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we should probably start wrapping it up here. Uh, does anybody have anything final to say on Annette? I would say it's not for everyone, but it's it's worth a watch. You know, I enjoyed it. Best approach, having first listened to it the three-album Best of Sparks compilation that's currently available, or their two most recent albums. And also probably best watched after the Edgar Wright uh, documentary. Possibly also after Holy Motors. Yes. And Al- Holy although Motors. we still saw it, saw it before, but, but even so. Individual mileage will vary. I, I think I probably would have had a better experience had I had all of that under my belt before, uh, before jumping into this. Um... For me, it's for me. It was a miss. Uh, anyway, uh, that's gonna about do it for us on uh, what's on the pile. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at what's on the pile, or visit our website what's on the Thanks for hanging out. Turn.
turns out they're more closely related to uh, cacti than, uh, you know, the earth primates, but... Deep in the forgotten corners of our galaxy, a mighty space hulk blazes through the stars. Its crew, a motley gang of misfits who are just out for a good time. He's sparking for fuck's sake. They have harnessed the mysterious fuel called Nostalgia. By remembering the cartoons of their youth. Now, standing in their way, the evil Emperor Sorbak. Stand down and Who just wants to shut their screw down and conquer every planet along the way. Thankfully, their ship holds a weapon with enough firepower to restore the balance. Yes! Neglected the anime space cannon. They are the bastards of the universe. I think you know damn well who we are. Thursdays at 8. Let's cast this pod. Only on Twitch.